I'm Dave. I'm Tom. I'm Richard. I'm Rob. And this is episode 52, where we're going to be talking about Hype Pressure, also known as the Rock and Roll Revival, first broadcast on the 28th of September 1976, a Tuesday at 9pm. Now, gentlemen, we always start with our headline comments, and this episode's going to be no different. This was, this was weird, wasn't it? It was bloody weird. <laughs> It's sort of like David Lynch took acid and directed an episode of The Goodies. It was out there. My note was that it was very experimental, but maybe that's a nice way of saying it's very strange. And and that's something I think is worth exploring. Is it an episode that is experimental and doesn't quite land? Or is it actually a very normal Goodies episode that just isn't very funny? I, I think one thing with it, and I found watching it, there are a lot of cultural references in there and a lot of older cultural references in there when they do all the 50s revival stuff so growing up here in Australia a lot of that stuff went straight over my head and I did find after I'd watched it for this I had to sit down and actually do quite a bit of research and find out who half the people they were mentioning were so I think there's probably an element to that too which dates the episode quite a bit again and I suppose just taking the conversation back there this is the last rare episode for Australia. It was never screened here on free-to-air TV. Yeah. No, so watching it for the podcast is literally the second time I've watched it. I think I saw it about 20 years ago and I got a complete run of the goodies from a friend on VHS. Let me say, I laughed a number of times through this. It wasn't... Like, I'm not saying this was a terrible episode. I laughed quite a bit through it, particularly in the first half. But it did get strange. It did get weird. And by the end, Mm. it really just was a case of what's all that about. Mm. Look, we all know that the goodies has dealt with giant kittens and giant cod and, you know, in the future we'll be seeing, you know, men running around in horses, suits and all that sort of thing. So the goodies is no stranger to weird and fantastical scenarios. Now, this is the first time I've ever seen this. I wasn't part of any tape trading network yep. many years ago. If I was being generous, it's a brand of sort of increasingly delirious humour that becomes detached from reality. And if you're in the right mood, you probably won't stop laughing. Or it is a terrible piece of television that just doesn't stick at all. It doesn't land, and it may be close to the worst goodies episode made. For you, yep. Yeah, for me, for me. I laughed during it. I did think there was some quite funny material in it, but like you, by about the 20-minute mark, I was really in the, what is actually happening here? (laughs) And the final point I think I'll make on this general discussion before we, we should get down to the episode is most goodies episodes, you can say it's the one about... It's the one with the giant kitten. It's mm. the one with the cod. It's the one where they go to the moon, etc., etc., etc. This is the one that we never saw. Yes, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, beyond being the one that we didn't, we never saw. So I probably should say the reason it was never broadcast here in Australia for years, and I always thought the fan wisdom was it had been rejected for censor reasons, as in the censor rejected it. It actually transpires from, and, and I'll put yet another shout out to Super Chaps Three, Andrew Pixley's great book, makes the note that apparently the real reason is that the tape master was damaged, so it was never offered for overseas sale. Or they saw it and they've gone, nah. That was the thing I had as the Australian (laughs) censors actually saw it. They did what we did. What's all that about? Just no. (laughs) We're not putting that out at six o'clock at night for kids. Kids, I think, would get absolutely nothing out of this. 
So we've circled around the episode enough, we'll dive into it, because I do think the opening part is actually quite good. It opens with Bill pacing around the office, desperately trying to write a new hit record. And so he talks about the funky ferret. He then does a lift on Brand New Key. Yes. Which was a song by Melanie Safka, I think her name was. I've got a pair of brand new roller skates, you've got a brand new key, which he does as a Rolls Royce motor car. Yes, they also have Tony Blackburn's Play Guitar My Way. And other practical jokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, but they do mention the Funky Gibber, they mention Black Pudding Bertha, and... e gum, shake your boom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, and, and that's the thing, Graham actually does feel a bit of stick about the uh, lack of quality thereby of his previous hit records. Yes, and the fact that the Funky Gibber was written by Graham's computer. <laughs> <laughs> but it, yeah, it does start off with the premise that Bill is struggling to write a new hit record, so he decides that he will give up music and become a folk singer. <laughs> and he then does a very good pastiche, a very bad folk singing, completely out of tune, including the joke, I'll put one hand on in my ear so I can only hear half of what I'm singing. <laughs> Which is just that, that wonderful take of you know, every time you see those singers, they're in that pose. Now, now, Tim, up to this point, has been sitting there with his head buried in Variety magazine, but he suddenly then takes an interest in their bad singing. Yes, and it's the best song he's heard in a long time, and it'll be perfect for his new television show. Yes, after he said that he likes country and western, he's got all their records, yes. <laughs> but, they, but they shouldn't have broken up. <laughs> now, Tim's new show, well, it's pronounced Faces, but it's actually spelled Feces. <laughs> and there seems to be a little bit of confusion amongst the cast as to whether it is new faces or new feces. Yes. Sort of sliding over the vowels in the word. <laughs> and you do get variations thereof. The note that I've written down at this point is WTF is Tim Brooke Taylor dressed as. Well, it's obviously a setup of new faces. He's dressed as an undertaker because the whole idea is they're going to kill these guys, basically, metaphorically, by, by eviscerating, yes, their, he, eviscerating their performance. Yeah. The, that, the, that's, that's an interesting way to look at it. The, the sort of dead cat thing he's got in his head, yeah. the riff of the bloke who presented it right. over there, he, he had a, a large quaff on the top of his head. And then, of course, you've got the three judges. You have the really unpleasant judge, which, again, was a straight lift from their new faces. They had the chap on there. Well, he's called Tony Bitch in the, um, in the show. He's actually it's Tony Hatch, who was a producer and manager and songwriter, who was very hard on the act. I, I was gonna say the Simon Cowell. Yes, well, that, that's probably true, for, the Simon Cowell. For you so. kids today, yes, <laughs> Simon Cowell. Well, in that they sort of have the mafia Don, or they actually call him Don Corleone, in there as the middle judge, and then the skeleton as the third judge, which I, I think he's meant to be play on someone like Arthur Askey. He was also a judge on New Faces, and he was one who would, after they'd been well and truly eviscerated by the other two, he would then give them the encouragement and, and be nice to them. I think this is an example of where what the goodies are satiring is so lost in the midst of time, particularly for us in Australia, that it doesn't actually work. It just looks weird. And, and as we said, the idea of... Tim dressed in the Undertaker's clothes with a dead cat on him. I'm, yeah. I'm not sitting there finding it funny or going, oh, this must be something like. I'm just going, what is he doing? Yeah, that, that, and that was the thing I had, and it gets progressively worse, I found, as the episode goes on, because they're just all these 50 throwbacks that really, as I said, watching it here in Australia, you've just got no idea about. Did, what, Rob, what was your takeaway from this part? Uh, well, if you're of a certain age, you would be able to remember... Uh, so the Australian version of New Faces, or there was another version of these variety shows like Pot of Gold, where they did have some nasty judges sort of ripping uh, entrance apart. So for me, I sort of understood that, but 
And this actual section with the judges, I, I find, is probably the best section because there's some did, good stuff in it. Did you find the bit about making fun of the, the fact that the chap's wife had died probably was crossing the line a bit? No. No? No. Because I must have been, I was watching that and sort of thinking, I mean, look, I get it's obviously meant to be a satire being really harsh on the act yeah. and that sort of stuff, but I was sort of like, ooh, actually. There's, there's very little I've found in the goodies that I would find personally objectionable. Okay. I didn't find that it crossed the line so much as it didn't quite work because you don't actually get a chance to see the guy perform. Mm. He's just this, basically this extra in clown makeup. And I think the script also doesn't imply that he's as old as the extra they've got to play him as well. Mm. So again, it sort of doesn't quite seem in sync. But I, I agree. I, I had got the talent show stuff, mm. but some of it was very specific and that didn't quite work. But fortunately, they then bring on Graham and Bill to do their act, which is their new folk song from the two folk. The world is full of women and men. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And this is one of those really wonderful satires where, although it's a very bad piece of music, it's so bad it's actually funny and you can laugh at its badness. Compared to some of the songs they've had in the past, I particularly go back to a couple of the ones in Superstar where you go... This was just so bad, it was just painful to watch. Mm. This is actually quite a funny, bad song. Yes, and Graham attempting to reach the harmonica. That was, <laughs> just, that that was, was very, very funny. That was probably the high point for me. Yeah, yeah, that was quite good. They're doing it with a lot of conviction, and Graham was just, re- you can see his lips at his next jet, you know. And then Bill sort of tries to lean across there, but goes. Yeah, it's all blowing into the back of the harmonica, which I don't think works, but anyway. No. Yeah, it was a good tack-off of that sort of bad folk song stuff. And then the, the payoff being that the judges actually liked it. Yes, which gets Tim Brooke Taylor so angry he's literally foaming at the mouth. I don't know if you know guys know, is that a reference to a particular incident or is it just it would be funny to have you meet some soap fakes at this point? Because they've gone to the trouble of satirising individual judges and everything within this, I thought maybe this was a satire of something specific as well. And that's the problem, I think, with being so specific, yeah. is that when they just go for general, you're looking for the specific. There may have been an incident lost to the mists of time where the host was so enraged that he was literally spitting on a contestant. But unless, you know, there's the tape to prove that, yeah. as you say, it's yeah. so specific that there's, there's, it, it just gets lost. Yeah. I think so. So Tim's program gets cancelled. I have to say, the start of the next scene is a very good piece of control from Tim Brooke Taylor, where he's mm. just staring straight ahead not moving, not even blinking while the other two are acting around him. Mm. That is a really good piece of self-control. Yes, because he's gone catatonic after his show got cancelled. Yes. And they, they go through the various different jokes to try and revive him, and then he just comes to and says, no, sorry, I was, I was thinking. He's decided that he's going to do a 50s revival. And then they point out that's happened, so he's going to do a 50s revival revival. Yeah, that sort of just comes out of nowhere, really. It does, and so he starts reviving... The 50s. Now, given the first image we see of that is one of King George VI, they're obviously going back into the really early 50s. It's interesting because he says he wants to go back to 1956 initially. Yes. But, I mean, they play pretty fast and loose with that because they actually do the coronation as well. They make the point that the coronation's going to be on twice daily or whatever it is. That's right. Tim in real life actually would have been 16 in 1956, which I guess is eight and a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so we get the obligatory goodies newsreel style announcements. Those troublemakers, the goodies, have set a new trend. Yes. By this stage, we've established that within the goodies universe, they are major players in Mm. pop culture and world affairs, and everybody knows who the goodies are in their world, so 
But cleverly here, they have actually got McDonald Hopley and Mary Malcolm to do the voices of these. Yes. McDonald Hopley particularly was a post-war BBC announcer who was you know, quite famous for mm. you know, the various things that he covered. And I think this was his last appearance on television, which includes him standing up wearing shorts. Yes, the old newsreader thing where they're yeah. just wearing yeah, footy shorts under the, under the <laughs> desk. <laughs> they do make a couple of references in there. There's the Bristol Brabazon plane, which was a giant super airliner that they tried for some years to get off the ground. Yes. And then walked away from and the flying bedstead. I don't know what its real name was, but it was a vertical takeoff and landing prototype. So, Rob and Tom, you've been very quiet. How did the 50s revival revival land for you guys? I'm still processing it. <laughs> There's a lot of this episode just didn't work for me, and that's just part of the great overall story of high pressure, I think. It was there, and I was just sort of sitting through the episode, just waiting for it to end. It's something you watched. Yes. I didn't mind it. I'm, I'm old enough, not old enough to have experienced the 50s, but old enough to sort of have read about it and all that sort of thing so I I didn't mind it as such but at this point the episode really goes off the rails it sort of it just loses all attachment to reality and coherence and which is a real pity because some of the newsreel stuff is is okay yeah there's lots of things in here there's Bill doing a very bad Elvis impression Uh, there's various stuff with BBC announcers they say they're going to do the coronation twice every day Mm. Uh, there's lots of sort of jokes about the 50s but I don't know I, I was a bit bored at this point I've got to say I think the problem with this episode in the 50s revival aspect of it is that it's going to be the same in 20 years' time where people look back and look at the 70s-ishness of the goodies and have no connection to it whatsoever. Mm. I mean, I've got no personal connection to the 50s, so it's, it's just simply there, those scenes. Well, it is, and I think that's the thing, and I think that's what dates this one. Given this was going out, I mean, here, I mean, not that we ever saw it, but I mean, here the goodies was going out at 6 o'clock weeknights. In Britain, this was 9, 10 o'clock at night, so the only people who would be watching it would be people, adults, who at least with kids in the 50s, and would be old enough to remember, you know, some of what was happening. They then go into the Oh Boy special, which is a a pastiche, I think, of a couple of different music shows. They do a thing, it's called One Note Rock, Mm. which is a lift from, sorry, I'll read that again. One bit I did find funny was where, very obvious that they're miming, you get the stage hand come along, and I put the hand back on the guitar, move Tim's hand back onto the piano. (laughs) Uh, Like we mentioned last week, they cut to the normal service will be resumed as soon as possible the fish in the tank and the potter's wheel thing which i took to be a reference to the fact that you know rock and roll was the devil's music and it was suggestive and these bugs gyrating their hips Mm -hmm. i had the thing in the 50s with elvis where they'd only shoot him from the waist up because of course his hips you know might awake certain urges in the youth which which leads to graham being driven mad by the crazy beat and starts slashing the seat cushions One thing I'll note here is this is the first time I've really noticed that Graham particularly is starting to get a little bit older than he used to be. And whereas back five years ago, Graham jumping around crazily slashing cushions would have been very funny, now just starting to seem a little bit sad. (laughs) (laughs) But they turn it off, they make a faulty towers joke. They do, and the audience actually really enjoy that too. Yes. Then they make a very good joke about Muffin the Mule where Graham says... Oh, I enjoy muffing the mule. To which the response is, you can go to jail for that. Yeah, you notice actually there, Bill gets the giggles and puts the paper up to hide his face while he composes himself <laughs> and then brings it back down. It seems impressively so for Bill. He, this, I think the previous episode, he's, he's just losing it more and more often. 
Well, I think you probably more get the, the bit about playing to the audience because there is a bit where they make the faulty towers joke and the audience cheer and he goes, oh, yes, quite, or whatever it is in response. <laughs> Tim then arrives as a Dead Army era style spiv. This, I must admit, is a point where it went completely off the rails properly for me, I think, but... Yeah, it's, again, why he's suddenly being a World War II spiv, I'm not quite sure. The stuff he's selling isn't very funny. No, I did have the note here. I don't know whether the bit about where he says he's a spiv today, a TV director tomorrow is a dig at somebody, but mm. I don't, again, whether it's another one lost in the mists of time. But And he does seem to be trying to do a very particular performance, person. Yeah. You know, like the walk and the style and everything. I've seen similar performances depicting a spiv of you know, that, that particular era, so I think he's picking... The performance is picked up from what he might have seen in the movie. It does seem to be a bit of an exaggeration of someone like Private Walker from Dad's Army. That, that was one that sprung to my mind, but I mean, he didn't carry on quite like that. Almost uh, Flash Harry from the Centrinians or... George Cole. The George, George Cole, Cole carrier. Yeah, 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 that's true. It's, that's what it sort of came across as. Yeah, and the ideas are mixed. So we've had a 50s revival. Tim's now being a 1940s spiv, and Bill turns up as a 1960s hippie. Because I go through the bit where Tim's the spiv where Bill says he's going to kill him, and Tim says, we don't want to do that because we've just reduced the death penalty. And then, of course, he hasn't both signed up for national service. They just list all these things that you're now back in the 50s and you're into rationing and they've taken all the decent TV programming off. You're back in the infancy of television. You've, you've had the death penalty reintroduced. People are doing national service. I, look, I just think the problem that we have with this episode is that at this point, or even earlier than this, it just falls apart. Mm. It's just ran- it, it's seemingly random things thrown at the viewer with an expectation that we're going to be able to pick it all up and put it together on our own. Again, one moment it's a 50s revival, then Tim's a 40s spiv, mm. then they're doing national service, uh, then Bill's a hippie, and then suddenly they're back onto a variety show. Yes, and it just it loses its sanity from this point in. Well, there's well, no cohesion. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, I guess the overarching thing is that Tim... Clearly, he's just looking for the next gimmick for the next thing just to keep him in the spotlight but it's, it's, and it's, set the new trend. But it's done so loosely or poorly or badly that um, it, it just falls apart. Oh, I agree. I mean, there's I no through line. There's really... I mean, other than that, that's a very threadbare through line. Hmm. It, 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 it really badly affects the story. All right, well, we'll, we'll just finish up the actual episode and then we can keep, Please keep looking at yes. it. Yes. So they, they do a performance where... Graham and Bill sing a hippie song about flowers. Yeah. Now, just a note here, because it probably ties into the rest of the episode. When they go in and they do their performance, Tim, he's actually dressed as a chap called Mike Mansfield. He was the director of a show called Supersonic, which they pastiche as superficial. And his big thing was he would sit in the director's booth and cue all the things. And that's where the Tim screaming, cue, cue the flowers, cue the whatever, cue the roses. And then it gets increasingly more mag. Why that would be thought of as funny, where you've got a back office production person who no one in the audience would actually well, know. Well, that's of. the thing. I, I can't. Why like, would you use that? That's just well, strange. Whether he was actually someone you, you perhaps did see in the show giving off stage directions. Because I, you're right, because it doesn't make any sense otherwise. So you get various iterations of the joke of Tim cueing things. They go through the song. The song is largely drowned out by the various effects that Tim is cueing and that yes. gets thrown at them. Bill has another giggling fit during the middle of it, but... <laughs> Tim then starts cueing other things, so we have Moira Anderson singing Bless This House, cue the house and bricks fall on her. They cut to the TV weatherman and then cue the snow falling over the top of him as well. Yeah, and then Tim decides that he's going to cue World War Two. Well, he blows up at the end of it, and then they go, oh, he's dead or whatever, and then, but he'll be back. Tim revives World War Two, as we said. 
he then starts basically bombing London. I mean, he accused the Luftwaffe and the Doodlebugs. Yes. And then the other two decide that they, the one way to combat a loony director is to use another loony director. And I think they decide on Ken Russell, I think. Yes. Ken Russell, Sam Peckinpah and Fellini. Yes, and Sidney Lotterby. <laughs> and then it really just becomes sort of a trading shot for shot almost. Yeah, they can just magically cue anything. He cues Hitler. Hitler, Kitten Kong. So when they get meta, yeah, so he Dougal accused... comes back, and finally they get the uh, party political broadcast. Yes, Q party political broadcast. Which... In Britain, it was and still is now a fairly regular thing that every so often the parties would ask for five minutes or ten minutes of footage to do a party political broadcast. Party leader, whether it was the Prime Minister or the leader of the opposition or the leader of the Liberals, could just speak to the nation. You know, they'll, they'll go through you know, a cycle. Like the, the Prime Minister would announce some new policies and the opposition leader would do a broadcast. And they start off as just pieces to camera then became, in the end, sort of became political ads. But it, it wasn't uncommon to have, you know, tonight Mrs Thatcher will be doing a party political broadcast on behalf of the Conservative Party. Why would that suddenly bring the episode to a screaming halt? Is it because it's Margaret Thatcher? My take on it was because they're such a boring piece of television that no one wants to watch them so everyone turns off. No. Right, okay. Now, the fact that they choose Mrs Thatcher, who is, at this stage, the leader of the opposition rather than the actual Prime Minister, is interesting. Mm. But, yeah, we've got to the end of the episode. Again, having this conversation has reinforced in my mind, it starts off relatively coherent. There are some okay ideas, but it just falls apart. And even us now trying to describe a narrative thread through the episode, we're just struggling to do it. Yes. And that that is indicative of the the way the episode falls. There are some good jokes in it, there are some clever ideas in it, but it is just completely non-cohesive. The thing I got out of this, well didn't get out of this episode is that when you watch any other episode of the goodies whenever one of them goes loony they're still likable i actually found tim to be entirely unlikable in this episode well he really he isn't tim really at all in the episode that's right there's no semblance of tim the goody in this episode going mad it's just the whole way through just this somebody else and usually when they i mean if you cast your mind back to graham in pirate radio goodies where he takes Mm. on that sort of more Hitlerian aspect yeah. at least that performance is amusing this performance from Tim where he's an out and out not very nice person whether that's because Graham is a better performer than Tim I don't know or maybe it's just the material I think it's the material I think the way this was written bang you hit in the face minute one of Tim just being this weasel well, well, well Tim's being characters all the way through he yeah. starts off as the guy hosting Red Faces yeah. then he becomes the spiv then he becomes this, you know, this camp of BBC director. Well, it becomes the impresario first where he's wearing around the fur coat and then all of these characters. Yeah. Yeah. They are all characters. They're not Tim. No. That's a really good observation. I'm, yeah, I like that. Look, I don't want to keep harking on about what I think we've covered fairly thoroughly. Does anyone have any other points they do want to raise in general discussion? I had a couple of just quick production notes. I, I did quite like the bit where they actually referenced Kitten Kong and Dougal. And it was interesting that they didn't just reuse the Kitten Kong footage. They actually got to the yes. point of a different kitten and a different... Poor cat gets a bit of a jolt, actually, as he watches <laughs> the post office tower comes down. Mm. The shot of Dougal wrecking checkers is from G-Rock, but it's not the shot in the final program, so I'm assuming it's a, a different take. But I, I thought that was quite interesting. They went to the trouble of doing that, and then they sort of pull back to where it's just manipulating Dougal on the little soundstage. They do that a couple of times. You see Bill and Graham singing in the last sequence, and... The stagehands, which ordinarily you wouldn't see, mm. are actually incorporated into the production. So there's that aspect of, you know, 
pulling the curtain aside. Which does imply that I think their intention here is to be very meta mm. and to talk about the creational production television. It just doesn't land. It no. just doesn't work. Probably the other one, one I did have to go and look up is a bit where they were talking about Vanessa Redgrave because they yeah. mentioned her twice because when they're doing the movie, Bill makes a thing about oh, Vanessa Redgrave and, and then the bit where she's dressed as a nun turns back the invading, all, all eight of the invading army. It's a reference to an appearance she'd made in a Ken Russell film called The Devils which she's a nun and she had been depicted pleasuring herself. Yes. Good thing this went out at nine o'clock at night. Yes. <laughs> and the same thing when she comes in uh, dressed as the nun, that's a reference to the same movie. We'll move then to our regular segments. Are there any tropes this week? Well, there's a Tony Blackburn joke way back at the start. Yes. God Save the Queen uh, by other sex. Yes. There is a blackface joke. Tim that up as Little Richard. Yes. All right. What couldn't they get away with today? Blackface. I'd actually like to think maybe you wouldn't do an episode like this these days, but... <laughs> yeah, uh, the way that they do Hitler probably wouldn't be done. No, although they do then have the bit with Alfred Hitchcock releasing the birds to go and crap on him, basically. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's time for our favourite gags. I'm, I'm going to nominate the cue the animals joke, because there is that visual joke of them getting attacked by animals, which I thought was quite funny. I liked two things. The, the woman who comes out to sing about bless this house and the rain of bricks knocks her down. Yep. Uh, but the one that got me was Graham attempting to play the harmonica when he couldn't actually reach it with his mouth. <laughs> I had where they were trying to get Tim out of his catonia. was, don't hit him, it's my turn. <laughs> <laughs> I had two. Well, since no one else grabbed it, I'll go with the muff and the mule joke. Yes, yes. The, the other one I had, I must admit, that did make me laugh was back when they were doing new faces. The bit where Don Corleone shoots a bloke and he goes, oh, that's a good mark from you, Don. Shooting below the knee this time. (laughs) Yeah, so there are jokes in this. There are very good jokes in this. It is a question not so much of the content as the cohesiveness. So, look, I think we've thrashed out hype pressure enough. Look, it is a very different episode. It is a very experimental episode. If you're able to get a copy, it is worth looking at again just to see something different from the goodies. But it isn't their best episode. I think we all agree. And our next episode is going to be Daylight Robbery on the Orange Express. So join Albert Finney as you take a walk in the Black Forest. You've been listening to the Goodies Pirate Podcast, the Australian podcast that puts the good in goodies. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please do leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode or your thoughts on upcoming episodes. So please drop us a line by email at pirategoodiespc at gmail.com. Send us a tweet at at pirategoodiespc or find us on Facebook at facebook.com stroke pirategoodiespc. Goodies, goody, goody, yum, yum. Screens all in black and white. Look what's happened to the programs. You know what they've done? They've taken off porridge, they've taken off faulty towers. Yes, quite. And you know, you know, you know what they put on instead? Prudence kitten. <laughs> and muffin the mule. I enjoy muffin the mule. You can get locked up for that, you know. <laughs>